Now, Israel grew from a family of 75, 72 people to a nation. This is a very interesting story that we cover today in Exodus chapter 1, second book of the Bible. Join us. I'm Rod Hembry. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening. And I'm Janice. And this is Bible Discovery Television, going through the Bible from Genesis to Revelation. And as we look at this in three minutes, we're going to learn more about it. Corey? Today I'm looking at the timing of the Exodus specifically. Ryan? Today, I'm very honored to be joined by Professor Steve Taylor of the University of Liverpool in the UK to talk about how he came to a belief in Jesus Christ. Very good. He actually, we talked afterwards. He's absolutely outstanding. It's really good. I look forward to that. Janice? The blessings of God. All right. Take your Bible guide. Turn to today's passage as we begin Exodus. What is this about? Let's learn as we open up the Bible, the most important book of all. Exodus 1, 1 through 14. Now these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob, Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were seventy persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and grew exceedingly mighty, and the land was filled with them. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. And he said to his people, Look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply, and it happen, in the event of war, that they also join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities Pithom and Ramses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage, in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve was with rigor. Exodus chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. It is a brand new book. We go into the second book of the Bible. It is the book called Exodus. What a great book this is. And uh, it's really, it means exit. It means go out of and, and uh, you know, let's figure out what God wants. God is taking Israel out of Egypt. Now, how he does that is fascinating. In the times we call ancient history, Israel has grown into a nation from a small family. Now, it's interesting to track this growth because there seems to be a recurring plan for those against God to destroy Israel. It goes that far, that far back. It's really something. Israel began as a family with little more than 70 people. 
And during several generations in Egypt, they had grown to over a million. God was developing his people to become Israel, the nation. Every one of the brothers of Joseph and Joseph's sons are listed. The plans for the formation of the kingdom of Israel was forged by God. But as I mentioned earlier, it seems that from the beginning, the devil did not want Israel to exist. He tried to motivate the early king of Egypt, Pharaoh, to come against Israel. The Bible explains that these enemies of Israel did not have the ideas of God in mind. The Bible says, quote, Now there are also those who arose over the king over Egypt, who did not know Joseph. Exodus chapter 1, verse 8. There were kings and there were leaders, and there was the king of Egypt, Pharaoh, who did not know Joseph. You know, the, the very interesting thing is that when we forget history, we tend to repeat it. And so we need to remember that. Now, take your Bible guide and turn to today's passage. If you don't have a Bible guide, let me say, call us or write to us and we will send you one. Now, keep in mind that it cost us postage and it cost us money to print the guide. So I just want to say that. So just keep that in mind. We'll send you a sample, but it does cost us. You can write to us or call us or go to BibleDiscoveryTV.com or Bible Guide, BibleDiscoveryGuide.com, and you can do the same there. And we appreciate your donations there. They're very important to us and keep us focused on exactly what we're doing today, and that is going through the Bible. Exodus is an amazing book as we look at it. Exodus chapter 1 tells us some interesting things. So, Father, help us today as we go into Exodus, to learn about you and to understand your ideas. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' wonderful name. And we said together, amen and amen. Now, now look, look at this. This is what the Bible says. It's what history tells us, okay? It says this. Now, these are the names of the children of Israel who came to Egypt. Each man and his household came with Jacob. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, Benjamin, Dan, Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. All those who were descendants of Jacob were 70 persons, for Joseph was in Egypt already. And Joseph died, and all his brothers, and all that generation. But the children of Israel were fruitful and increased abundantly, multiplied, and they grew exceedingly mighty. And the land was filled with them. Brings me to the first point. Israel grew from a family to a nation. And the land was filled with them. God blesses us. We will grow. When God blesses us, we will grow. What was the command given to Adam? What was the command given to Noah? Be fruitful and multiply. Go into the world and possess it. So they did that and God blessed them. Now you think, that's great, that's wonderful, awesome. But it wasn't. Because there are some other people there in Egypt who were rolling, ruling the kingdom at that time who didn't think that was so hot. Let's read what the scripture says because this gets very, very interesting. The Bible says, now listen carefully, it's important. Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. 
Interesting. Somebody who didn't know history. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, lest they multiply and it happen in the event of a war that they also join our enemies and might fight against us. And so go up out of the land. He was afraid of this. The second point, people who do not recognize God are people who are always threatened. God will do what God says he will do. We need to recognize his work and his ways. As leaders of the nations that we have, we are not gods. We do not have the power of God. People don't have the power of God, nor do the leaders. We follow God. And the people define who God is, what God is saying. That's very, very important. And today in our world, we have so many people saying, well, we just need to do that. Need to Hold on. It's time to pray. Let's do that right now. Father, Lord Jesus Christ, I come to you with all of us, and we pray, Lord, teach us your way. Show us your path. The world is at war. Things are shifting and changing. Things are, it's unbelievable. And we've lost our way. So, Father, we need you. Reveal to us what our way should be. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's go on to the scripture and read some more because this gets very, very interesting. It says, therefore, therefore, they set taskmasters over them to afflict them and their burdens with their burdens. And they built for Pharaoh supply cities, Pithom, Ramesses. But the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew. And they were in dread of the children of Israel. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor. And they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field. All their service in which they made them serve with rigor. Wow. Leaders who do not recognize and respect God apply persecution on the people of God. Leaders who do not recognize and respect God apply persecution on the people of God. Persecution makes the Lord's people stronger. I mean, it's not, you can't, you can't persecute God's people and expect them to settle down and get with your plan. God's people become stronger. If you don't believe me, go to Nigeria. If you don't believe me, check out China. If you don't understand me, go to India. Beloved, God's people become stronger when they're persecuted. Now, that becomes important to remember because we pray for the persecuted church, but we need to pray ourselves. And this persecution that we're experiencing now is good for us. But help us, Lord, to get right with you. Very important. So, Father, today we pray about all the needs we have. Teach us your way and show us your path today. Now, from a biblical perspective, why do you think God made humans and apes look similar? 
Well, the same thing, same reason I think that there are similarities right through all living things, and that is we see a continuum, if you like, which speaks to us of one creator. If we're entirely different to every living, other living thing on Earth, we have entirely different chemistry, entirely different everything, then we might think there's different creators. All right, so I want to open the discussion with you about the timing of the Exodus or the dating of the Exodus. So the Exodus has a historical event. When did it happen? And surprisingly, there's a big split in the Christian church over the timing and the dating of the Exodus. So let's get into some of the nitty gritty details. The question of the timing of the Exodus is an important one. If timed incorrectly, then scholars will be looking for evidence in the wrong time period. And this is what has happened. Many scholars time the Exodus in the 13th century BC with the famous Pharaoh Ramses II. The problems with the 13th century Exodus abound. It struggles against the biblical evidence. It's trying to solve a biblical problem by not taking the Bible into account. A surefire way to fail and fail it has. The 13th century Exodus dating is why many scholars today say that there's no evidence for it and it's therefore mythological. But what does the Bible actually say? In 1 Kings 6, the Bible dates the building of Solomon's temple to his fourth year as king and the 480th year after the Exodus. By using 967 BC for Solomon's fourth year, the year 1446 BC is given for the Exodus. Proponents of the 13th century Exodus date claim that the 480 years in 1 Kings 6 is symbolic and should instead be taken as 12 generations of people times the biblical idealization of a generation, 40 years. But since a generation is really about 25 years, they multiply 12 by 25 and arrive at a 300-year gap between Exodus and Solomon. This discounts, however, the genealogical data of 1 Chronicles 6, which lists 19 generations between Exodus and Solomon. Judges 11 also gives an approximate date. The Israelites had been living in the Promised Land for about 300 years when the Ammonite oppression began. We only have an approximate date for the Ammonite oppression of around 1100 BC. Adding 300 years to this still gets us to 1400 BC for the conquest and then 1440 for the Exodus. Still more evidence arrives from the Jubilee year cycle. Ezekiel 40 gives precise numbers for dating the 17th cycle. By counting back 17 cycles of 49 years, you arrive at the first Jubilee celebrated on entrance to the Promised Land with a date of 1406 BC, adding 40 years for the wilderness, and you have 1446 BC for the Exodus. Now, these are just some of the, the main points and, and, and the main areas to hit for a discussion on the dating of the Exodus. I'm hoping to be able to put together a bigger, more comprehensive discussion that I'll be releasing on my YouTube channel, so stay tuned for that. You know, what's interesting is when you, when you begin to think about these things, um, the date of the Exodus and all of that, that you come back to the fact that it was Moses that had three lives. Okay, now let me, let me clarify that. The first part of his life was the son of Pharaoh as he was raised. The second part of his life was he left Pharaoh because he, he killed an Egyptian and he got himself together in Midian, the head of his family. But then God called him back. Mm -hmm. And the third life was leadership of all these people. 
And it's like your young life, your middle-aged life, and and your your last life, which tends to be the most important life. (laughs) And that's where God shows up. Seasons of life. I mean, yeah, it's just like incredible. So anyway, just a very, very interesting time as we get into this fascinating stuff. Uh, Thank you, Corey. Ryan. All right. Well, today I want to share with you another clip from this new resource called A World by Design 3, which is an ongoing series of interviews that I've recorded with some of the top scientists and researchers in the world. And today is no exception because I want to introduce you to Professor Steve Taylor, who is head of the Mass Spectrometry Research Group at the University of Liverpool in the UK. And I asked Professor Taylor about his work, but I also asked him about how he came to saving faith in Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Well, I'm very honored to be sitting down with Professor Steve Taylor. Steve, welcome. Thank you very much. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit about yourself, both personally and professionally. Okay. Uh, well, as, you, as the accent uh, betrays, I come from the UK. I am a serving uh, academic, member of staff at the University of Liverpool in England, gradually coasting into retirement. And I've been at the University of Liverpool for about 40 years now. Um, so uh, my background is that I studied at London University for a few years, trained as a design engineer and then came from that career into the university, also as a design engineer, but then later to do a PhD and to become a member of faculty at Liverpool. Wow, now could you tell me about your conversion to Christ? Yeah, so um, like many uh, British folks, I was christened as a baby, taken along to church at that point, but our family didn't go to church very often, so it might have been one or two appearances in Sunday school as a child, Basically, that was it. But in the UK education system, when I was growing up, you heard about Jesus. We heard Bible stories from the Old Testament and from the New Testament. And so I had a respect for the person and the work of Jesus. But I didn't know him personally, nor did I think it was possible to know him personally, nor had I ever heard the gospel in the way that I now believe it until I was about 16 years old. I was a teenager. Um, Just backing up a little bit, my brother, uh, who's uh, 16 years older than me, was converted as a teen, but then he emigrated to the USA. Can you imagine that? Mm. And uh, I didn't see him for many years, of course, but I do remember him speaking to me about God um, and uh, the foolishness of atheism and so on. But I I didn't take much on board. It was only really when I met Christians uh, as a teenager, about 16, they came to our school and uh, did a presentation in class and a few of the friends in school began to become interested and they invited me along to a local church where these uh, this witness team was staying and I sat down and I met with people who knew the Lord Jesus Christ as their savior and I was I think the the technical term blown away Mm. um, just meeting people who knew Christ and obviously had a, a real faith in him and I knew I didn't and after an evening of questioning and putting my questions and getting their answers and hearing about the possibility of knowing Christ personally as our saviour and friend, I trusted him for myself. And so it was a, a dramatic conversion for me. Um, it was uh, from, from nothing to faith in Christ. Suddenly, um, but I can only say it's, it was the, looking back, it was the Holy Spirit working in me to draw me from an unbelieving, ungodly, 
ungracious background towards faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And uh, um, that was that was my young boy, 16. That was that was great, a great experience. And here I'm, 56 years, so 50, 50 so years on, I'm very happy to be uh, be, be a believer. All right, so Professor Taylor will be back tomorrow and he's going to talk to us about his fascinating research into dinosaurs. So that's going to be really interesting and you're not going to want to miss it. So make sure you join us on tomorrow's program for that. Uh, the, the project that you did, all of these interviews, you put them all together. By the way, he's one of my favorites. Okay, mm -hmm. this guy is just... He's he is great, just, yeah. He is awesome. Okay. Anyway, uh, give us the name of the project one more time. Yeah, it's called the World by Design 3. So this is the third installment of this ongoing series uh, that we're doing with uh, interviewing top scientists and researchers in the world. So, And this yeah. is really, you put this together over the course of, it has taken us some time to do it. Yeah. End of September last it's year when about, we did yeah, it. It's but, been about five, six months. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really put together well and it's, uh, it's good to go. These guys are awesome. All of the scientists are great. Anyway, um, that's me. And isn't it, isn't it great? I was going to say fascinating, but I thought that's <laughs> your word that you like to use. But it, but it actually really is fascinating to me that these there are people that they are just wired Scientist. for science mm -hmm. and details and things like that. And it, and it really is amazing how our God is so great and so creative that he has designed each of us. And when we come together, mm -hmm. it, it just makes life so exciting and it brings the Bible to light and it makes us appreciate in our human minds. Like, think about that. We, these guys are brilliant. These women are brilliant. And yet it's only a fraction of the way God has designed us to be. It's, you know, and mm -hmm. so to think about that just kind of blows my mind because that's how I just think very simplistic. So but, but a because, lot of these details are just incredible. But remember, these guys study the universe. Yes, they study the universe and all of this, which we can't even understand. It gives me a headache just thinking about it. <laughs> Quantum <laughs> physics and, and the starlight and the whole business. Yes. They, they understand it. Yes. Absolutely. And they're, they study it. I know. I know. Well, this, I, I guess I need to get to my segment, but I just, I sit back and I'm amazed and I'm so thankful. And I know a lot of our viewers are as well. Corey, with the segments that you bring to us and Ryan, the segments that you bring to us and to your teaching, Rod, because you, you will have a different perspective. It's like going through the gospels. You know, they, they, they tell the same things, but it's from a different perspective. It's like if you're standing and watching a parade, if I'm standing over here and you're standing over there, we see the same parade, but we're seeing it at different angles. And so when we come together, we get this whole big picture and it's so interesting. So thank you very much for your segments. It, it's really very, very much appreciated. And I get to go through a lot of the letters and, and see your comments. So, and then I try to pass it on to you to, uh, to show you. But anyway, the blessings of God. I wanted to talk about this book as we get into the book of Exodus. We see now here a changing of the guard, if you could call it that way. The Pharaoh that knew about Joseph who understood um, Joseph's gift that he was given of God to be ruler for him. He was trusted by Pharaoh. Pharaoh allowed Joseph's family to come and live in, in the best part in Goshen in a land where they could shepherd and, and it could support their flocks and their children. 
He has died. Joseph has died. His brothers have died. And yet the population is still there. And, and we see that this king becomes, uh, he becomes a, a bit intimidated by the, the sheer populace of this group of people. And he begins to think in his mind that somehow they could turn against them. And you can see how the enemy, Satan, begins to take thoughts and twist them into something that wasn't a reality. And you see the suffering that he begins to bring to the children of Israel to begin to... Um, stop them from having more children, to make them work harder. But everything that he goes to do, the reverse happens. God is blessing the people. And, and then he, th this new Pharaoh gets to the place where he's so upset over it. He goes to the midwives. And I find it so amazing that the king's name is not mentioned, but the midwives here are recorded in the Bible for us to know who they were and what they did. They were directed by Pharaoh that when they would go to deliver the babies of the Hebrews, if they saw that it was a boy, they were to murder that baby right then and there as he was being born. They did not do that. They knew that that went against what their God, the one true God, had told them to do, that he was about life, not about death. So they actually went against what Pharaoh had told them to do. And um, I find it interesting as well that we see here when Pharaoh says to them, you're not doing what I told you to do. They say to him, well, you know, we, you, the Hebrew women, they, by the time we get there, the babies are already born. It's interesting because he doesn't dispute that. So there must be some truth to the livelihood and the healthiness of this group of people. But what I wanted to talk about today is in all ways, it says here that God made them prosper. And sometimes our surroundings are not what we want them to be. Clearly, the way the Israelites were living in this time was not optimum for them. It wasn't like when Joseph and his brothers and he brought them back to the land of Goshen. Sometimes our surroundings are not what we want them to be. But as believers, we must live our lives to follow God and his word. It's only then will we be blessed as God blesses us. I remember that Rumble is a social media platform where you can get this program. Want to encourage you today to try it. It's a great program. We, we just put it on six, seven months ago just to try. We didn't advertise it or do anything about it. We mentioned it a few times on the program, but it's just taken off. It's really great. Rumble.com. Look for Bible Discovery TV. Let's pray. Father, today we pray that our desire to serve you is fulfilled. Help us to serve you now, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.